Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 378. Instead of coming up with new menu items, we are, we're, we're not, it's not like we're just sitting back resting on our laurels. We're, we're, we're like, we're, we're taking all that energy and it's like, okay, how do we make this the exact same every single time? And what does this look like, you know, across three stores, across five stores, in, you know, two markets, in four markets? You know, what does this look like, you know, on the East Coast? Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Toast is a simple restaurant platform only for restaurants that connects the POS system to online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting. You get the picture. This sucker is all in one. And recently, Toast received $101 million worth of investment, and they're celebrating by giving away $2 million worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with Toast by the end of September or until supplies last. To get your free hardware, head over to pos.toastab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes. You have to use my links. Have you heard of Watsi, aka the Work Opportunity Tax Credit? Well, Hire Me is a platform that connects amazing employers with amazing hourly workers, and it can hook you up with some Watsi. To learn more, head over to restaurantunstoppable.hireme.com. That's Hire Me, H-I-G-H-E-R-M-E. And if you contact Hire Me about Watsi services for a limited time, you will get three free months with the their featured hiring software. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Charles Balillis. Charles, are you feeling unstoppable today? Every day. <laughs> awesome. So special shout out to Craig Hartman for making this happen. Uh, man, he gave me a great lineup of people to get on the show and I can't wait to dive in. But Charles Balillis attended... Johnson and Wales University and Cornell University, where he studied culinary arts and hospitality management. After finishing his formal education, he continued to learn under restaurant masters such as Thomas Keller and Michael Mina. In 2014, Balillus opened Suvla, a fine casual Greek restaurant and wine bar located in San Francisco. And today there is a total of three locations. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. I can't wait to dive in to find out what makes you you, Charles. But first, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, the mantra of Sula uh, as an organization for the past three and a half years and really kind of words that, that, that we all live by um, is the phrase, make it nice and be nice, um, which was um, adapted, uh, shall we say, from, from the guys over at um, 11 Madison Park. Um, their thing is make it nice. Um, and obviously they have their new restaurant made nice. Yeah. Um, now, granted, make it nice and be nice, you know, predates all of that. But my, the, the, the ethos of it really comes down to my um, fine dining background um, where there is this constant, relentless pursuit of perfection, um, which is all fine and dandy. Um, but uh, oftentimes that comes at a, a pretty significant human cost. Mm. 
um, and, and, and has the ability to create fairly sort of toxic work environments mm-hmm. um, where, you know, your best is never good enough. You know, you get the chefs with the tempers and this, that or whatever. Um, and after kind of going, you know, watching sort of history repeat itself with me personally and, 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 and my um, experiences in those environments, uh, you know, but prior to launching Suvla, I, I, I just thought to myself, there has to be a better way. There has to be, you know, a way that we can um, always be, be striving to do better, but at the same time, be nice to each other, be nice to our vendors, be nice to our guests, um, and not have to, you know, raise our voices or throw anything or any of that. And so um, the, the, that phrase is up on the wall in all of our kitchens. It's in our office. It's in our hallways. It's, it's, um, it's on our hats. Uh, I mean, it, it, is, it is truly the, 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 the sort of guiding phrase for the whole organization. Beautiful. And I love that, that sense of bounce that it sounds like you're after for you. It's definitely high standards, but not so high that it comes at the expense of the, the, just the emotional and physical health of your people. And that balance, I can't wait to dive into how you find that balance, but, uh, we got to first start with when it started with you. I'm sure we'll work into that conversation on finding the balance, but when did you know that this was going to be the industry for you? I mean, you went to culinary school and hospitality school. So I'm assuming it was a young age. When did you know? Uh, so I'm probably one of the few in, in, in the business. Um, yeah, that actually went to school for this stuff. Yeah. Um, most of the people that I employ, um, a lot of people that I've worked with over the years, um, don't come out of that sort of educational background. Um, ironically though, when I graduated high school, um, I had no desire to be in this, in this business. I, I, had come from a couple generations of entrepreneurs, small business owners. My uh, grandfather, my father's father, um, owned and ran restaurants um, in the greater Boston area for a number of years. Um, but I, I mean, he was never around. He was working all the time. I never saw him. Um, and it would just seem like a really brutal life. And I, and I um, sort of, uh, upon graduating high school, you know, even though food was the center of our Greek American family, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in a hot, sweaty kitchen. And so I went to the University of Vermont um, for my first year of college. And about halfway through, um, I had come home for winter break and I was, uh, we were up at um, a, a friend's cabin actually in uh, New Hampshire. And a bunch of, you know, the, the old crew from high school up there for New Year's and I ended up cooking for everybody, um, which was something that I, you know, was apt to do. Um, and I had like a true epiphany, the light bulb went off and it was like, wow, it was like, this is what makes me happy. Mm. Like, this is what I enjoy doing. Why am I not doing this? So I basically flip flopped on my whole sort of, you know, idea of like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a hot, sweaty kitchen and ended up spending the next decade of my life in a hot, sweaty kitchen. (laughs) So what exactly is it about that experience of cooking for others that, that you are attracted to? What, what does it for you specifically? I think it's I think it's the whole notion, and I think I would if you ask probably most chefs, um, and I don't certainly at this point think of myself as a chef in any way, shape, or form. But that's how I got into the the, the business was was through cooking. Um, I think it really just comes down to the to the whole to the whole feeling that that whole sort of intrinsic um, sort of almost primal feeling of of feeding people and making people happy. Mm. It's so the, the 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 gratification is instant. That look that you get to see on people's faces when you've prepared something for them. And it's just like, okay, that's why I did it. I know why I did this. And I, I totally get what you're saying. But uh, so you went to school um, for first at uh, Johnson and Wales for culinary. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then you transitioned to Cornell for management. Was there a point in which you realized that maybe you're more interested in the operations side? Like how, what was the, the intentionality behind your education? Yeah, I mean, I, I can probably track that to a um, sort of particular point in time. Um, when I was uh, when I was at Johnson and Wales, um, I didn't, you know, I had transferred in without really any formal culinary experience, um, and wanted obviously the restaurant experience, and was in that kind of funny catch twenty two of no one's going to hire you if you don't have experience, can't, have, can't get experience, you don't get hired. Situation mm-hmm. was able through the through through Johnson and Wales um, to get a job working for Legal Seafoods. Um, as a line cook. Um, so I was working and going to school at the same time. Uh, mind you, I was a couple of years older than, than most of my classmates. Um, so what ended up happening, I was working at the legals in uh, Rhode Island, which was close to the, to the culinary campus, and had an opportunity over the summer break to go and be part of the opening team uh, of one of their new locations in Harvard Square. Um, and which was, which was really awesome. Cause I got to a, you know, it was closer to where, where my parents still live. Um, I could experience a new restaurant with a menu that I was already familiar with and also just be a part of a restaurant opening for, mm. for the, for the very, very first time. Huge value and, there. Yeah. And being a part of that restaurant opening kind of opened my eyes to the rest of the sort of, um, restaurant ecosystem, at least within the, that, those four walls before when I was working and going to school, I would just come in, set my station up, you know, crank through service, break my station down, go home, you know, um, we'll have a couple beers with the guys and then go home. But, um, by being a part of the opening process, I had a lot more interaction with like the general manager mm. and manage and the, the sort of more senior management teams and like the founder of the company and, and, and things like that. And so, by sort of experiencing that and knowing, you know, bearing the sort of reality that even though at the time I was in my early twenties, it was like, I can't keep line cooking for the rest of my life. I've there had, there's like, you know, I've got to learn more about this. Um, and so that really sort of started the, the, the process for me, um, kind of looking into, into that sort of secondary education. So was it this experience with legal seafood, seeing the complexity that actually goes into opening a successful restaurant, all the variables, was that like an eye opener for you? Did it serve as an, like, like it was almost like a culture show? Like, like, wow, I, I need to know more than just how to cook. I really, there's a whole other side of this that, that's just, you know, huge. Yeah. It, I, I mean, it wasn't necessarily like a, like a true eye opener. Cause I wasn't, I was just a cog in that larger machine, mm-hmm. but it at least, at least gave me the exposure um, to all of the other elements in a way that I hadn't, uh, hadn't experienced previously. Okay. So you kind of had this, you kind of intuitively knew that there was a whole other side of this that you were going to have to explore if you really wanted to be successful, which brought you to Cornell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so in between, um, legals, I, had, I did my culinary externship at the Ritz Carlton down in, um, Amelia Island, Island okay. Florida, which was also, um, pretty unique just being in a, in a, a very, very large, a high-end hotel environment um, and really running the gamut between, you know, everything from big banquets to poolside stuff to, and I, and I at that point had kind of gotten bitten by the fine dining bug. Um, so I got to spend a lot more time um, maybe than some of the other externs in their fine dining restaurant. They at, at the time had a four, four star, five diamond restaurant down there. And I befriended the, the chef de cuisine, this guy, uh, Scott Crawford, um, who should be on your list as far as someone to talk to. Just wrote to. it down. <laughs> um, 
and he kind of took me under his wing um, and really kind of became one of my first sort of mentors in the in the in the culinary space. And he was moving up to South Carolina to go work at this Relay Chateau property, um, and I got to go with him. Um, and so then, and that was a, the the polar opposite in terms of extreme extreme luxury. It was a 15 room Georgian revival mansion, like the, like the best of the best type situation. Um, and so I was able to do that in, in the sort of interim before, um, before going back to school. I had, I had applied as a transfer student and got into Cornell, um, but had obviously several months um, before I was, uh, before school started. So I was, I was able to cram that in um, those kind of that's like six month period before, before school. Um, and I think also just, the whole notion of transferring, especially into such an incredible school like Cornell, um, was helpful for me because I probably wouldn't have been able to have gotten in. Not that I was, I was actually a pretty good student in high school, but um, by, by having that real world, real world experience um, and already an associate's degree, um, I think was very, very helpful in, in, in my transferring it. Yeah, the one thing that's sticking out to me to this point, Charles, is your real world experience. And I think that's something that isn't, emphasized enough as far as young people getting into this industry. So what were the biggest lessons? Like how did this experience influence your decision-making throughout going to college and post-college choosing to work for certain people? Do you think it had an influence or am I kind of just assuming? No, no, no. I think, I think it definitely has an influence. It definitely helps in, in terms of, um, gaining uh, perspective as far as what else is out there, you know. Hopefully, over time, as you as you see more and learn more and do more, you realize that there's that you really don't know anything. I mean, I remember being, um, you know, a young uh, sort of brash uh, culinary graduate coming out of a Ritz externship and having uh, and having Scott. Uh, you know, I would, I walked into his restaurant thinking that I was hot shit and, and, you know, really getting put in my place, uh, truly like, you know, humbled in, in, in that way. Um, but I think that also the, the, the experience coming in, um, and, you know, bringing into a school like, like Cornell, you have something to base a lot of the education or a lot of the, the conversations and, and discussions that you have with professors off of. Mm. So you have something to, to be able to kind of bounce back and forth. Um, it also, for me, uh, was great because I, I got my bachelor's in two years. Um, so I was able to transfer in um, a bunch of credit and um, also kind of finagle my way out of a couple other classes. But then most importantly, I got to TA a lot of the very senior level um, food and beverage classes um, that are really more of like the senior kind of fun classes. The, your your food and wine pairings, your awesome. specialty beers, your like guest chef classes, stuff like that. I get to TA them without actually having to take them. Um, so that was kind of that was that was fun for me. Yeah. So I'm curious. Uh, you said something that really uh, stood out to me, and I'm, I want to dive deeper. And you said that experience helped you realize what you didn't know. So can you look back at any aha moments that helped, like just like like whoa, like blown away, like I didn't even consider that, but because of this experience, I'm, I'm now seeing it from a different perspective. Can you think of anything? I mean, I think that, you know, making the, the transition, you know, we haven't really hit this part in the, in the kind of timeline, but making the transition into, into dining room management um, and uh, like in, in part of that working, really kind of coming full circle and, and working every position in the restaurant, I think really, really helps for the sort of general understanding and empathy of, you know, there's always, uh, and, and I'm very grateful to say not in our restaurants, but um, historically and, and classically, there's always been that rift between the, the kitchen and the dining room, the, your kind of classic front of house, back of house kind of B 
beef, if you will. And I think, you know, the more that, that, that people have the ability to um, work a shift in someone else's shoes or station um, to understand uh, what's going on there, I think can be very, very helpful, you know, um, in sort of gaining the, the sort of general, you know, uh, perspective and also just really strengthening the the importance of, of treating everyone with uh, respect because you know they all have hard jobs to do I think there's you know when we can get into this later or not but the whole notion of like the pay gap between front house and back house but there's also there, but there's a whole different skill set and a whole different level of stress that 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 you know you have to deal with working in the front house and you don't have to deal with working in the back yeah house. absolutely that that big picture uh, concept of what's going on in front of house, back of house, it just pays off. I mean, just having that sympathy of knowing what the other side's going through and just, I mean, it, forget about empathy. You can actually sympathize because you've gone through it and it's so powerful, awesome stuff. So let's transition to, uh, you're, you're graduating. Uh, it's time for you to, you know, break out into the real world. Are you intentional about where you're getting jobs? Like how did you land a job with Thomas Keller straight out of college? Or was there something in between going on there? There was nothing in between. Um, uh, it was a it was a combination of being at the right place at the right time and being very very lucky. Okay. Um, so basically, what happened was January of 2016. I'm I'm about to graduate. I mean, I'm graduating in the in the summer. Uh, I'm in the office of um, of my uh, advisor and still very dear friend, um, a, a, a true living legend at uh, Cornell, uh, Professor Giuseppe Pizzotti. And uh, who is sort of like the godfather of the F&B department um, at Cornell. And, you know, I'm sitting in his office and I was like, I was like, Giuseppe, what am I going to do? It's like, it's January. Everyone else has got all these jobs. I don't have a job lined up. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted because, yes, I have all this kitchen experience or I, not all this. I have some kitchen experience, right? Uh, I now or I'm about to get this kind of business degree, if you will, it doesn't necessarily make sense for me to go back to just being a line cook now that I'm like armed with this education and this degree. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you, it's not like I'm going to be able to just walk out of, you know, I was not in a position to graduate and just open my own restaurant. I knew that I was not ready. I knew that I was years and truthfully, you know, the better part of a decade away from, from really being ready to do that. Um, so so I, I, I just kind of had this like little kind of um, sort of moment where it's like, what am I going to do? And he just turned in his wisdom and he just, and he's just like, well, he's like, who do you want to work for? Who do you really admire? You know, who, who, you know, like, you know, name your, name your restaurant or name your chef or, or whatever. If you, if you, if you didn't have to worry about it. And certainly this is right around the time. Well, I guess it had been out for, for a little while, but I had um, recently discovered it probably a year or two uh, prior. But I mean, the French laundry cookbook for me and my, and my sort of culinary buddies that I was, that I was going to school with, it was, was the closest thing to basically like the Bible, you know? Okay. So it was just, the, it was just the book that you would just look at and just like, just, just, you know, dive into <laughs> and just like, you know, daydream over. And I was like, well, man, I was like, I would work for Thomas Keller, like, you know, right. I mean, that would be my dream scenario. Sure enough, Giuseppe picks up the phone literally uh, and calls. He happened to know the um, the woman who at the time headed up um, their PR department over there for for the for the Thomas Keller Restaurant Group, and he was just like, "Hey, listen, I got this kid here. You know, uh, would love to work for you. You know, he's done this, he's done that. You know, is, is there anything?" And it's like, "Well," and there's one of those things where it's like, "Well, I don't know." And I was like, well, "I'm like nudging Giuseppe at the time." I was like, <laughs> "And also, I was like, I was also I was like." Can we can can you get us a reservation? Because my 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 buddy Harris and I um, really wanted to go eat there, um, and we wanted to go over over spring break. 
Um, and so anyways, she's like, well, it's like, send me his resume. You know, I send the resume and it's like, you know, I'll look in the reservation thing. So fast forward, we get a, we get a lunch reservation. We fly out. Most, most college kids go to like Cabo or whatever for spring break. My buddy Harris and I, uh, go to California. Wine just, country. To, just <laughs> basically. Um, and we hit like the French laundry and Manresa oh, and Kirdenko and all these places. Um, and, but had this great meal, never met the, the woman while I was there. She was away or whatever. Um, come back. And so now it's like March or April. And now it's like, okay, it's like, I have to, like, I, I can't be the one person here that's going to graduate without a job. So I started kind of going down the whole four seasons um, sort of interview process. I was like, well, this is a great hotel. I've worked for the Ritz. It's like, this could be great training experience, all that stuff. And then kind of out of the blue, the phone rings and it's Thomas's assistant, um, you know, inquiring if I'm available um, to, for, for some interview stuff. Um, and so we have, you know, a, a, a series of phone interviews and then I end up driving down from Ithaca to New York city, um, to, to interview in person with Thomas at per se. Um, so, and this was obviously like the, the, the biggest day of my life. Man. Um, so I, I go to the Time Warner center, you know, I, I sit in the salon with, with, with Thomas and with, and with Corey Lee, who at the time was the executive, uh, executive suit per se, but was about to be the, the CDC at, at the laundry. This is obviously years before Bennu. Um, and, you know, sit down, have the interview. I'm all in like suit, tie, just the, like the whole nine, super nervous. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm basically sitting next to it. Like certainly for me at, 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 you know, as a, as a 23 year old, I think I was back then. I mean, I'm basically sitting next to, you know, Jesus Christ himself, yeah. you know, so it's like, you know, certainly in, 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 in my, in my mind at the, at the, at the time. Um, and so we go through the interview, his assistant, you know, walks me out. We go down the escalators at Time Warner Center, sees me out the front door and basically offers me the job of, of culinary assistant, which literally hadn't existed prior to any of these conversations. Um, so I immediately went across the street into across Columbus Circle and, and into Central Park and just basically started bawling my eyes out. Um, and it was truly certainly at the time, like like the biggest moment ever um but then for the for 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 the years uh, in you know um following um i got to create um a role that is still in existence now in all of his restaurants it it, it originated at, at the french laundry um and there's now culinary assistants there and a per se and a, a Bouchons what and, and all. what is a culinary assistant i'm curious yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a very interesting role that um certainly for me at at the time um changed day to day. Um, you are basically the sort of liaison between the, the kitchen and the rest of the world, whether it's internally facing within the organization or externally facing. Um, so you are the, you know, you're there to basically support the, the chef de cuisine and all of the sous chefs and for all of their sort of various um, administrative needs. Um, in, a, in, in a place like, like French Laundry or, or per se, the menu changes every day. So, and it goes through several rounds of revisions. So you're the one that's typing those up and making those edits and doing all the printing. Um, certainly at the time, and obviously this is, you know, um, now o- over 10 years ago, but, um, you know, I was uh, in charge of the stage program and, you know, dealing with, with the, the various stagiaires or, or externs that were coming in and vetting all that, uh, vetting all them and getting them set up and organized and all that stuff. But it, it for me, it, it extended into... Um, doing some like construction management and project management. Um, I got to travel with Thomas and do cooking demonstrations and stuff like that. So um, it was really kind of, you know, no, no two days were the same. Man. So, but yeah, but, but anyways, but you, but you get that. And so I graduated and moved, moved across the country um, for, for this job that, um, that 
previously didn't exist that I got to create. Um, it didn't pay very well, but um, it, it, it could have paid. It, it could have paid nothing for like for me at that at, at that time. I like I was probably willing to pay to go to go work there. So, so yeah. okay, man. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in good timing. I believe that there was something going on, something you were doing, a way you were carrying yourself that got people behind you that wanted to see you be successful. So hindsight being 2020, what do you think you did during your educational career, during your interaction with all these mentors, Giuseppe and other people that would, that they got behind you and made sure you're taken care of? Like, what what was like your whole career like you're on a resume like you're you're you know or an interview where you're, you're impressing people you're influencing people what do you think it was about you that created these opportunities i think it's a combination of of uh passion and drive um and being serious about you know what i wanted to do and being forthright about doing it I, i'm i'm a firm believer in in um, certainly when it comes to any sort of educational opportunity, be it college or a course or whatever of, of you only get out what you, what you put in, you know, I think that basically almost any institution, you know, culinary or otherwise, as long as you show up and do the bare minimum and, and pay your tuition, they will give you a, a, a degree, you know, but that's it. But if you're that type of person, that's all you're going to end up with at, at the end of it. If you're the one, and I was the one that was asking the questions that was, you know, spending time after class that was, that was having one-on-one time with, with, with professors that was, you know, getting involved in other sort of organizations and, and, and really kind of, you know, um, pushing the, the, the sort of boundaries sometimes to, to, um, to, to my detriment. Um, you know, it's, it's, I've, I definitely, um, you know, uh, tick some people off over there. It's funny. One of them though, and he recently invited me back to Cornell to speak. So, um, so I guess I must've done something right or, that good um so but i think i think it's just showing that 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 drive and that passion yeah. and honestly it's like i think i think the biggest thing you know that that you can say for any university that has certainly a, a level of prominence like either johnson wills or uh a cornell is the power of its of its network you know and whether that's the network and, and the relationships that professors have with people in the industry or it's um you know just reaching out hey i'm coming to san francisco you know, what, what Cornell alumni are there out there? Who, like, who can I meet with, you know? Um, and so those are kind of the big things. And so now it's, it's actually been really rewarding and, and, and fun to be on the, the opposite side. So now, you know, I've got, I've got Cornell professors that are reaching out to me saying, Hey, I've got this, I've got this student, you know, you know, you know, he's going to be in California, you know, can you, can you please meet with him? I've, I'm, I'm, I literally, I have a, a, a current Cornell student. He's, he's going to be a senior who, you know, when I was out in, in May speaking for this entrepreneurship roundtable, you know, really impressed me. I saw like a little bit of myself in him and we got to talking and he's, and he's like, I was like, Hey, I've got a project for you. Like if you're interested in doing this. And so he's, he's working on this project for us right now. Beautiful. You know, we're analyzing all of our restaurant data. So, so the big um, things, the big things I got out of that Charles uh, is just, I mean, well, this was kind of like below the radar. I think you taking some time being a little bit older, being a little bit mature and going through the experience as a young adult, not super young, like 18, 19, but mid or to early 20s might have had a huge influence on that. You took your time more sure. seriously. Also, just and it kind of reminds me of I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Are you familiar with that book? No, so no. in that book, uh he says everything that you do in life has to be towards working 
towards something, a goal. And it sounds like that was a characteristic you had, like you were committing yourself fully to this, this, this lane that you chose, this path that you chose so much so that when everybody else was going to Cancun and Mexico during a spring break, like you were committed to getting that job at French laundry. So, so much so that you went out there on your spring break and you experienced all these things, all those actions say so much about how serious you are, how committed, how dedicated you are, how passionate you are and your actions speak. So what are your actions saying about you? If you're listening to this right now, are you speaking with your actions? Are you totally fully committed to this path that you set out on? Um, I, that's man, what you share with us was, was so beautiful. Um, I can't believe we're already at a half hour. We still got to find out what you picked up from Thomas Keller learning what you picked up work, like working for him. We haven't talked about my restaurant yet. I know. And that we, you got to leave at least 15, 20 minutes to talk about how you got Suvla going. So, okay. Um, just real quick, what were like two of the biggest lessons you picked up working under the, the Thomas Keller restaurant? We'll move to Michael Mina and then we'll spend most of the time on what you got going on with Suvla. Sure. I think, I mean, with, with, with respect to, to Thomas, obviously just being a part of that environment and being a part of, um, and an organization that operates at such a high level and, and just with my direct personal relationship with, with, with Thomas, I basically, um, I basically learned to think like him um, because I was always the one that was, you know, he would turn to and ask a question and it was basically my job to be one step ahead of him or at least more than one step ahead of him. Okay. And so by learning to think like him, I know exactly if he walks into a room, he's going to see something and he's going to ask why this thing is here or why this is this way. And it's my job to be able to have walked in the room before him to know that that's there and to have an answer for, for what he's going to say. So wait, how so, did, how did he think? Oh, I mean the, 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 the level of, of, of attention to detail um, is unparalleled. And, and um, that's definitely something that, that um, has certainly been, I think one of, one of the keys to, to, to Sula's success and certainly to, to, to my success. Part of it is just, is just finding the right balance of, of, noticing things that most people won't notice, but then also delegating it and pointing it out in a way that's not super condescending or um, sort of, you know, berating someone or, or any of that. It's just finding, it's finding the right way to be like, Hey, listen, so I want to show you this. And like, this is what we need to do to kind of fix this type of situation. Okay. Um, so, so you, so, so you don't feel like you're you, like, you're just, you know, hammering on, 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 on people. So, and I think that that rolls in with, with respect to Thomas kind of a larger sort of thing where, and certainly was instilled in me, with my time with him is to basically, you know, think like an owner. I mean, you know, like think, you know, if this was your restaurant, you know, what would you do? And I, I mean, he's, he's, you know, known for, and I know has written about, I mean, the whole notion of if you, if you're walking down, you know, the, 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 the driveway of the French laundry and you see a cigarette butt in the ground, you know, do you pick it up? It's like, well, it's not your cigarette butt. It's also not your restaurant, but at the same time, it's like, if it was your restaurant, of course you would pick mm. it up. You know? So, so getting, you know, learning, you know, sort of adapting and, and sort of um, embodying that um, and now being in, in a, in a position to, 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 to train all of our management teams um, to, um, to think and operate um, that way. I, I think, I think we've been, um, especially as of late within the past year, we've been very, very uh, successful with, with truly empowering our, our general managers to, to, to run these restaurants um, certainly within our, our, our parameters and our, and our, 
overall guidance, but to, to run them like it, like, like they were theirs. And I think with, with, with respect to Michael, you know, what, what I wasn't able to, um, to really uh, glean from or, um, accomplish within Thomas's restaurant group is, is the whole business sort of financials component that was kind of, they were, they were, um, that kind of lived within a little more of like a, 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 a closer, a, a closed group of, of, of people. And I was never senior enough, um, to kind of break into that sort of inner circle. Um, Michael was a lot more, and I would think is probably still uh, um, is more transparent with the financials of his restaurants with all of the management teams. Um, and so, um, when I was the assistant general manager at RN seventy four, um, that was you know a, a huge interest of mine. That was kind of like the, the not to say the last big thing, but but one of the the, the larger things that, that that I really wanted to kind of take hold of and, and learn. And I was given that opportunity, so I was. I was, you know, writing budgets for a restaurant that at the time was doing eight and a half million dollars a year. I was doing P and L reviews, um, not only with 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 the meeting group, but with but with ownership. You know, I was I was doing you know weekly financial reporting. I was I was really I, I, I kind of consider that my sort of like masters um, in in sort of restaurant management because I, I was able to kind of really get a, a, a pretty solid grasp on on the sort of business component of, of, of the restaurant business. And, and that really allowed me to make the transition into, you know, writing a business plan for, for, for Sukla, figuring out, you know, how to raise money and, and, you know, operate my own business. So, so yeah. Awesome. I'm going to do my best to kind of summarize what I picked up from these lessons you got from both Thomas and Michael. And with Thomas, it seems like the big ones were the attention to detail and then the, um, my handwriting was writing real fast. I'm going to do my best. Uh, but also when, when things weren't quite right, he had a way of addressing it in a way that wasn't demeaning or condescending, but respectful and treating it like you own it is huge. Having that, that, that culture of everybody's a leader is kind of what I picked out. Uh, it's a company of leaders. You don't just have your few, but you hire and you, in, you know, transform everybody into becoming a leader. So now it's just like you, you teach people how to think is kind yeah. of what I'm getting from you. And then with Michael, it was kind of the, the same thing, attention to detail, but you got a lot more of the financials in was, was he doing open book management? Um, I don't know if it was, it, it could be seen as, as open book management, but, but there was, but there was a level of, of transparency with, with the operating financials that, that I hadn't previously. No, what's the power in that? Why is that so powerful? How can that have a positive impact on your business? So as a as a as a manager, certainly as a either as a, a sous chef or a chef or as a or as a dining room manager, um, certainly in in the more kind of middle management um, aspects or even in a more senior role, um, if you know, I, I remember you know managing Bouchon and my GM would come to me and say, "Well, your labor's high," and it's like, "Okay, high to what? You know, is it like you know?" what is our labor right now? What is it? Where does it need to be? What is the impact of, of, you know, that I, I, there's, there's no metric to go off of aside from someone telling me that my labor's high. Whereas if you sit down and, and we do this and we do P and L reviews monthly with, with, with all of our management teams, you know, they, they, they're, first of all, they're, they're bonus to be hitting numbers that they have direct control over. And only like, you know, we don't, we don't tie their stuff to net profit or to revenue where they don't have any direct control. They're tied to labor costs and, and cost of goods. Um, but they now have, they now have full transparency in terms of like, okay, this is my labor this month. And I know that I'm one point high and now, and I know the steps that I, that I need to take to get that to, to where it needs to be. And, or it's like, this is my labor. Now my labor is 10 points high. 
oh crap, we got a huge problem. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is real serious or okay, this is just off by a little bit. And, and what's been great since we've in the, in the six months since we've implemented that is, you know, we've been, we, we've been able to, to take all of these managers sort of to, to task and watch them put steps in place to control things like cost of goods or, or, or labor. And now they get to see the, the sort of fruits of, of that as they, as they watch their, their, their numbers get more, more and more in line. Um, and then they start making their their bonuses. So I think I think being able to have you know the great thing about you know a P and L is a P and L is a P and L you know and 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 every business if they don't have one they should have one but it's basically the same across the board. And so once you get people familiar in how to read those and then familiar in and and how to kind of pull those necessary levers, they can be a far more effective manager um, than someone that doesn't have any understanding of 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 the actual numbers or business side of. of of the restaurant. Man, I think the big takeaway I'm getting from this, Charles, is that both Michael and Thomas have this way of empowerment, of empowering their people, of not just giving them a job, but giving them knowledge, teaching them how to run a business and then saying, I I trust you to kind of just do it, you know? And then then you just again it kind of goes all the way back to that that company of leaders like you don't have to be the person making all the calls you can surround yourself with passionate hardworking, smart people who are maybe even smarter than you and then you empower them with the knowledge you give them the skills and you have a company full of leaders is kind of what i'm getting is that safe is there anything it's very I'm safe it's and it's all it's 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 um and i'm very very proud to say it's it's what we've built at suvlo over the past three and a half years beautiful i mean i'm i'm, I'm talking to you right now it's it's 10 past one on on the west coast on a, on a thursday so it's effectively the lunch hour, right? So, and meanwhile, like I'm here, uh, you know, a half mile away from our closest restaurant, and I can have a conversation with you and not have to worry uh, about what is going on in any of the restaurants because I know that we have talented, driven people that are mm. there that are operating this this business. And it's hard work, guys. It's hard work getting your people to that point. And you're going to have to put in 12, 14-hour days of just creating those systems, processes, procedures, the framework. To, the but first, once you do even, it... We, we haven't even gotten to the, to the, to the <laughs> birth of Suvla, but yeah. I mean... I, just to, to, to that point, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, that, that didn't happen overnight. I mean, you know, I, I opened and closed our, our first restaurant for the first year. I mean, that's a seven, <laughs> seven to 11 day, you know, six days a week. Um, and then and then that day off wasn't a day off. That was my sort of admin day. Yeah. You know, like, yep. so, and we didn't have an office and we didn't, and I was the only salaried employee. And like, that, like it was, it was, it was a lot. I mean, it, it, it it puts a huge strain on you personally and, 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 you know, uh, professionally. And it, and it takes time to build those systems to, 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 to build that, that team. Mm. Um, I want to, I want to get that story. I kind of want to dive into that. Uh, before I forget, I need to mention this book, uh, the great game of business by Jack stack and what we're talking about empowering and, uh, just understanding the game of business that that book is a great book to if you want to do what we're talking about right now they really do provide great framework and how you can start doing that in your own business so do check out that book i'll link to it in the show notes okay suvla um you took a couple years off before opening suvla so i mean when did this vision of suvla first come into your mind like when did you know like did you so, Suvla, so no, so I can I can actually trace the 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 origins of of Suvla to um, to basically a date and time almost. Um, it was uh, probably the summer of 2010. Um, I was still very much the assistant general manager of our of Michael Mina's R in 74, um, 
And I was living with a roommate in um, a part of San Francisco called the Inner Richmond, um, which was kind of one of the few areas of the city that um, there's a lot of apartments have backyards. Um, so um, we uh, we had this idea to kind of start throwing these these um, sort of bi-monthly um, sort of backyard barbecues, roasters. We 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 called them. We haven't really gotten into the, the sort of Greek thing, but I'm a, a Greek American second generation, and um, with this backyard um, and just with growing up uh, roasting lambs for Easter and stuff like that, I was like, well, this could be a lot of fun. It's like, you know, work in a restaurant. I, I can order, you know, animals in, um, you know, whole animals in. We, you know, bought a spit. Um, and so we, we, we started this, 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 um, this party thing where basically we, we would provide, obviously, the venue and the animal um, and we would invite a bunch of friends with the, with the only sort of requirement that you bring something to drink, something to eat, and somebody that we don't know. And so we we did we ended up doing I think a total of I think three or four. We definitely did a lamb, pig, and a goat. Um, but after the after the first one, we did we did a lamb for the first one, and I you know roasted several lambs before, so it was something that I that I knew how to do. And um, we had this big party, this all day kind of barbecue. And the next day I was cleaning up um, and it just so happened that there was um, a bunch of leftover uh, spit roasted lamb meat. Um, someone had brought a beautiful heirloom tomato salad. Someone had brought in pita bread and there's some feta cheese and there's some tzatziki or whatever. Um, literally it was just like, so I made myself a leftover sandwich that was effectively like a very, very good gyro. Um, and the light bulb went off and it was literally, it was like, I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is delicious. Yeah. Why can't I why, like? Why can't I buy this anywhere? Like, why is this not available? And so, like, the wheel started to turn a little bit in, in terms of the notion of like, huh? It's like over the past decade, chefs have, you know, updated, upgraded, you know, all of the sort of ethnic and domestic sort of cultural comfort foods: the hamburger, the hot dog, the taco. You know, all of these things had had kind of been modernized given the quote-unquote chef treatment upgraded with with better quality ingredients and, and 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 more thoughtful sourcing and all these things and no one had had done that with the euro or the or the souvlaki sandwich um, which had basically remained unchanged since it came to the states in like the mid-70s and so that was that souvla started with the with 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 that that one bite that that one sandwich it's so it's so cool how these visions can come to you at the least uh expected moments and uh another thing we've learned so often in the show is the power of a niche the power of doing something that other people aren't doing and if you ask yourself if i can't be the best in the world at doing this then it's not worth doing and it's when you find something that's not being done often or very well i mean you're only going to increase your odds of being successful do you agree with that statement yeah, for sure. For sure. It was something that, that I mean, in, in, in the years that it took to get Sula from that from that leftover sandwich to the doors open was, I mean, took the better part of five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and with all types of obstacles and rejection and, and all this stuff along the way. But to your point, it was it was the, it was the whole notion of of two things. One, it's doing one thing and doing one thing well. And also we had the opportunity to bring something to the market that was inherently familiar, but entirely new. Everyone knew what a, what a, what a gyro sandwich was, what a souvlaki sandwich was. Um, but no one had seen it done this way. Awesome. So five years from concept vision, beginning of vision to actual brick and mortar, um, con like, you know, you're open. What things did you do? How did you 
set this up for success? So, I mean, it took a number of, it took a, a couple of years just to get the business plan to where it was in the state that I was even comfortable talking to other people about it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was one of those things where for me, you know, having a full-time job, I was working 70 hours a week. There wasn't a tremendous amount of time to, you know, it was my sort of quote unquote nights and nights and weekends project. Um, even though it wasn't done on nights or weekends. Um, but you know, the whole notion of, you know, writing a business plan and, um, you know, starting getting, you know, a ways down, then it gets on hold for a little while. You get tied up with other stuff and you revisit it again and you get it to a point where it's like almost there. And you're just like, no, this is a terrible idea. And you scrap it and you start over. It's just, it's a series of those kind of like start stop situations. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, and then for me, it, it ended up kind of coming down to, I, I gotten into a point where I was, um, pretty happy with it, pretty comfortable with it. But I was the assistant general manager of, of, a, of a full service fine dining restaurant. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't do both. You know, just from a from a from a pure like ethical standpoint, I, I can't be you know trying to like on the side raise money for my for my restaurant while at the same time having having an obligation. For, mm-hmm. You know, especially um, I, I I certainly wouldn't you know if 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 any of my managers you know were trying to do that I I, I wouldn't I would be upset if you know. Well, if, yeah, if especially I, when you're working at a restaurant, the the caliber of restaurants that you're working at, like you got to be. 100% on board to, to deliver it at the level at which you were delivering it. And I totally get that. That's why I went full time on my podcast almost a year yeah. ago because I couldn't put into it what I wanted to put into it. And I wasn't giving the people I was working for, you know, that, that same, that level of work they deserved. So I yeah. totally get what you're saying. And so um, it was, it was, it was convenient for me in the way that, that I was, I was kind of ready to, to, to move on from, from RN and I was ready to, 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 fo- to focus full time. And I was able to do it kind of under the guise of of you know I I had resigned my 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 position within a couple of days after my last day I was on a on a, on a, on a plane to Greece um, under the sort of general auspice of like hey listen I've been I spent the last ten years you know uh, working um, mm. you know basically I haven't really taken any time off uh, truly and I haven't gone on like a proper vacation and I haven't done any traveling um, in, in in a way that I that I was fortunate enough to do when I was a, lo- a lot younger um, so this kind of gave me the opportunity to to, to take a month off. Um, you know, kind of disappear to Greece with armed with this business plan and, 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 and with this idea and looking for um, not only some additional inspiration, but also, you know, um, to, to, to be able to kind of really refine everything a little bit more um, and also just kind of get some more um, that validation behind what I was trying to do. Um, and also, I mean, it, it, and it ended up, thankfully, you know, uh, with, with building some, some great relationships with, with people over there that, that, that I still have to this, to this day. It was that, it was that trip that, that I, that I got to meet, um, two, two of the winemakers that, that are now making, um, our, our private label wine for us, you know? Um, and, and so, and so that way I was able to come back at the start of 2012 and full time, like Suvla, here we go, you know, mm-hmm. raising money, all that fun stuff. So, okay. That's a good point. So how did you get the money? What, what advice do you have for people out there that are looking to raise that money? What? So, and again, this is, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in, in, in this position now where I, where I, uh, people are coming to me in the way that I went to, to people that I knew or knew of asking kind of the same question. I had, you know, I had this idea, you know, can I talk to you? Can you help type situation? And, 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 and I always take the meetings because I was that person too. And I, and I, and I strongly believe in, in, in paying that forward. Mm, absolutely. You know, first, first things first, I mean, and, I, and, I, and now I won't take the meeting unless they have a, a, a business plan. You know, because I think that is a, as an exercise, 
um, is, is incredibly important. Anybody can have the idea of like, oh, I want to open a restaurant or I want to open up a taco stand or, or whatever it is. Until you, until you flush it out on a, on a, on a you know, piece of paper and actually like go through that exercise, it's like it's, you know, don't even bother talking to anybody else. So anyways, um, but the start of 2012, I mean, it was just me reaching out to, to, to my, to my network. I think, you know, working in, in, in higher end restaurants, I, you know, I had, I had, um, relationships with, with the more sort of, you know, VIP, mm-hmm. uh, clientele, a lot of them invested in restaurants. And, um, so reaching out to a lot of them, reaching out to a lot of, um, sort of more, you know, wealthy people within the, the Greek community, um, of which it's a fairly small, um, but in fairly tight knit community out here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing if, if I can get any interest, you know, through, through their obviously friends, family, all of that stuff. So there's some, there's um, a little bit of a nugget there. I want to interject real quick because you're getting, you're getting, well, first of all, you're Greek. So there's going to be some res, they're going to resonate with you there, but you're also creating a Greek restaurant. So the people who are missing that, you know, you're, you're resonating with people. They're going to want to get behind that. So find out who's going to get behind and get excited about what you're doing and go to them. Cause they might be, you know, is that safe to say like you, you targeted specific people that would get on board with what you're trying to do. Is that, am I assuming that? Or is that you're, you're, you're assuming it. And I think what, what, what is not um, like the sort of underlying thing is, is, and what ended up happening is, is I was trying to do something new. Mm. You know, I was, I was, yes. It, it, is it, it, is it a Greek restaurant in the sense that if 99.9% of the people that walk by a souvel every day and they look at it, it's like, Oh, that's that Greek restaurant. Yeah. That's exactly how it's, how it's perceived to a Greek person. Um, it is, it's, it's far more modern and far more forward thinking and far more, um, sort of, uh, narrowly focused, but also built to kind of cater to non Greeks. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of this kind of like dismissiveness of like, well, that's not really Greek, you mm-hmm. know, type type situation, um, and which which I w- which I was fully expecting because you know if I if I wanted to open a Greek restaurant that catered to Greeks that was truly authentic, you know, one hundred percent traditional Greek, I could do it, no problem. It would be closed in two months. Yeah. You know, there's not there's 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 not enough Greek people um, here to you know support a restaurant like that. Um, unless you, unless you make it far more, um, you know, forward thinking and approachable and modern and 99.9% of our clientele are not Greek, you know? So we do have the country's only all Greek beverage list. There's definitely something for, for people on there. We make a very traditional, uh, Golemino soup, you know, um, it just, you know, when, when you're, when you're dealing with, with people and, 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 and the cuisine of their, um, of their culture, it can be a little bit, a little challenging. And so I, I see Suvla as a direct reflection of my sort of unique, uh, relationship with my cultural background because yeah, I'm born to, to two Greek parents. You mm-hmm. know, my mother came to the U S from Greece. I was born and raised, uh, in a, in, you know, in a suburb of, of, of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't speak Greek in the house, you know, uh, we went to church and stuff like that. We celebrated all the holidays. Um, but my, you know, it, I was part of that, uh, of that generation where, where, where my parents being immigrants wanted us to be normal American kids, you know? So, um, so, and, and, and I in turn wanted Suvla to be, uh, to, to, I wanted to be able to, to share Suvla with everybody, you know, and not have people, not have non-Greeks feel strange coming into uh, into our into our restaurants. Okay, so we covered a little bit how you got the capital going to people who are in your network, uh, the the wealthier clientele, the people that yeah, they all said no. Today. By the way, um, so that's you know that's the that was that was I mean almost all of them. Um, you know, we obviously had uh, you know I put 
uh, what little money I had in, um, you know, people like my you know parents, uh, thankfully, you know, invested um, a little bit of money. It was a real struggle. Um, it was it was it was pretty easy to 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 get the meetings based on who I was, who I knew, and my pedigree. Um, people loved the idea. Uh, thankfully, it was it was pretty well received. Um, but the but the goalposts kept on moving. So it was a it was a situation where it's like here's my concept, you know, this is what I want to do. And then it's like, and then the question is like, okay, well, you know, do you have a space? Well, no, you know, I'm looking at this neighborhood, this neighborhood, this one is like, well, okay, well, like, let me know when you have a space. And then it's like, then you find the space, which is very challenging to do. It took two years for us to, to, to nail down our, our, our Hayes Valley location. Um, I mean, a year of it was in pure lease negotiations. It was very like complex back end. Um, and so you go to them with, it's like, okay, we got this great space. And it's like, well, how much is it going to cost to build it out? So you got to go through the whole like, bid process and all that stuff. Needless to say, I mean, and, and our raise for, for, for the first restaurant was was by any comparison small. Um, it was a, it was a very 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 scrappy project. Can you we say how much four, you had to raise? We raised four hundred fifty thousand wow. dollars for 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 the first restaurant, and that's really not a lot, really. That's that's no, very for, that's, yeah, that's lean. It was it was it was a tremendous amount of money, especially in like San Francisco. Time, <laughs> but for um, but but I mean, for but for but for context, I mean, you know, we now you know we raise um. We raise basically one one million dollars every time we we open a souffle. So like the raise has has doubled. You know, for that just that just goes to show you the the level of scrappiness within within um, the first. So why is it so, so important to be scrappy? Dive into that real quick. So I think it's I think two things. I think it's I think it's important to be to be to be scrappy. Um, just just in the sense that it's like that it's um, I think it, it adds a degree of authenticity authenticity to what you're, you're, you're doing. And I think, I think the energy within that resonates within the guest. Um, I think that if you, if you just spend a bunch of money and it's super fancy and you kind of don't really, you're not like that, that invested into it, 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 it kind of comes off as just being a little too kind of cold and corporate. So mm-hmm. for us, you know, one, one of the biggest things whenever we go to do a, a, a new restaurant is we want to be able to sort of retain that, that like energy mm-hmm. and that, and that vibe. And, you know, we still, from a scrapping standpoint, we still work out of a little 300 square foot basement office, you know, um, like we're still, despite having three restaurants and a catering kitchen and we're 125 employees now, it's like, we're still, we're still pretty, pretty, pretty scrappy. And I think that's very, very important to kind of instill within um, the group there. Uh, and then what was the second part of your question? Um, I think I asked like, why is it so important to stay scrap? I can't remember if there's anything other than that, but I think you, you yeah. answered it. No, I, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I think that, Oh, I think I, the, sorry, the, the, the second part to it, honestly, and, and still to this day, it's, it's, it's clarity of vision. Mm. You know, I, I think, I think that it's that, you know, we were, you know, the menu is nearly identical to the menu, the, the, the that we, that we had when we opened. I mean, we're, you know, we, we turned down, offers to do a, you know a zillion things like all the time because it's like you know we know who we are um and 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 what we do and how we do it and why is that so important um again i think much like the with 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 my scrappiness answer you know i think that that resonates with with the, with with the guests you know what what has been i think the biggest one of the biggest keys to to our uh success over the years is the fact that it's like we are that 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 sort of true north for these people when it comes to it's like I go to Suvla, this is the thing that I get. Mm-hmm. It's the same every single time. You know, the people there are always nice to me. The place always looks awesome. You know, it's it's all of those things. You know, um, I, I I firmly believe you know two things. One uh, that that people, guests, customers do not want choice. 
um, which is why our menu has so few things on it. There's actually, despite the fact that there's only four main items on there um, and three sides and, you know, a, 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 a beverage list where it's like, there's a glass of, there's one white, there's one red, there's one rosé, there's, hell, there's, there, there, there's one beer. You want a beer? Great. We have one. You know, um, I think that, that, that people don't want choice. What is baked into that menu is actually a tremendous amount of flexibility within that. So it's, you know, if you don't eat gluten, like we can, we can, we can, you know, make something for you. If you are not eating dairy, we got you covered. If you're, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's hell. If you're, if you're, if you're vegan, we actually have a pretty big following within the vegan community because we make a great vegan salad, even though it's soupless, but fired meats. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that there's that um, in terms of not wanting choice, and I do think that, that I, I firmly believe that people are creatures of habit, and they want to go again. Going back to this one thing, one thing. Well, you know, they're in the mood for a super chicken salad. It's like I'm going to go to Subla, I'm going to get this chicken salad. You know, and they know exactly what it is, and they know how it's supposed to taste, and they've been craving it. And you know, whereas I think that you know the challenge with with other restaurants that change their menus is that item is now gone and mm. now you can't get, you know, so, so we, we refocus all of almost all of our creative energy, certainly from the, from the culinary side, instead of coming up with new menu items, we are, we're, we're not, it's not like we're just sitting back resting on our laurels. We're, we're, we're like, we're, we're taking all that energy and it's like, okay, how do we make this the exact same every single time? And what does this look like? you know, across three stores, across five stores in, you know, two markets in four markets, you know, what does this look like, you know, on the East coast, you know, so, and, and that, and, and there's a tremendous amount of energy that, that has to go into, in, into, into that side of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the, the, just the mere fact that we have three restaurants, we serve, we serve close to uh, 2000 people a day between those, those, those three restaurants, you know? So, I mean, that's, you know, we have, we have the ability to, to, to affect and, and, and touch a lot of people. Man, we've covered a lot so far up to this point. I can't believe we're already at an hour of recording time. Man, an hour is not enough. Um, so, I mean, we've covered the importance of being scrappy, the importance of really having that clarity of vision, the consistency, uh, and keeping it simple so you can have a better uh, likelihood of keeping it consistent. It's and the early, early on, we talked about the importance of having that work life balance, that balance between being great and doing good work, but not doing it to the point where you're sacrificing your own livelihood. Um, is there anything that you want to discuss? Anything that you think really is worth talking about right now uh, that has huge contribution to your success before you go to the speed round? Uh, I mean, I, it, it all, it all really comes down to, um, to, to people in that, in that team. And I think, you know, we, we talked about it earlier, um, in terms of, you know, being able to hire, motivate, train and empower, um, you know, so many, so many people, um, so much of our success has actually been built on the, on the notion and the, and the practice of, of promoting from within. Um, and we now have a lot of people that are, that started with us in very entry level line level roles that are in senior, you know, that are in managerial or senior leadership roles. Um, and that's been just so incredible to, to, to watch happen over and over again. Um, and I think we're also, I mean, Suvla as, as an organization, um, is fortunate because of our success, um, that we're able to continually invest in our, in our employees mm. and, and, and provide them with, um, a level of, of, of care and benefit um, that's not often seen, certainly in the restaurant business overall, but even rarely 
uh, even even more rarely seen in the realm of the sort of fast casual quick service space. I mean, to, to the point of, you know, all of our employees have full medical benefit. They have paid time off, paid vacation. Um, we have a 401k plan. Wow. I mean, you know, paid breaks. I mean, a lot of these things um, that, that, that sets Subla aside from other places and, you know, allow us to continually hire, train and, you know, retain great people. Wow. And um, real quick, you mentioned, you know, hire, motivate, train and empower. What's your biggest, best advice when it comes to motivating other people? I mean, I think above all, it's, it's, it's setting a good example. I mean, and it, and it, and it comes down to, um, it comes down to when we started this interview and the whole notion of, of make it nice and, and be nice. You know, if, if that stuff, you know, like I said, that's not just up on our wall just for decoration or just to show, you know, it's not there for, for some sort of like smoke and mirror type situations. Like we actually like adhere and live by that, that, that motto. And that starts with, with, with me, you know? So if I'm ever in a situation where, you know, if I walked into a restaurant and I started, you know, flipping out on on some employee because he or she wasn't doing their job or this or whatever, that's not me making it nice or being nice, you know. So, so instead, it's like when I when I go into our restaurants, it's like smiles, you know, it's handshakes, it's, how you doing, you know, what's going on, you know, how you been, what can I help you out with? It's 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 all of those things, um, and it's also really you know reminding so many of our of our of our team, especially the ones that are that are taking orders that are working behind the the register is reminding them that what they do is actually is very important. Um, it may not see, it may just seem like they're plugging orders into a tablet and that's it, but they are, they are directly affecting hundreds of people's lives. Mm. I mean, to the point that like, like so many people are like working all day. It's like, Oh man, it's like, I really want it. Like I'm just I'm dying to go to Subo right now. I like, I really want this thing. And, and, they get to be they, they get to be part of that interaction and and they get to and they get to provide that 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 level of of joy or satisfaction or or whatever um, to all of these people to the point where it's like you know we get people that you know travel and, and travel you know around the world and they're visiting and they heard about us and they read about us here and they wanted to come check it out and it's like you know now now that that counter server gets to be a part of that person's experience you know in in San Francisco or part of their of their uh, vacation or you know whatever it is so it's like they're like what they're doing is 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 very important how do you oh man i, I oh there's just not enough time that's the questions i want to ask uh one more question before we move to the speed round and how are you on time by the way is there a certain do you have a hard stop just so i know nope. okay nope, I'm um when do you know it's time to scale? When do you know it's a, you're ready to have that second location? And how do you do that in a way that doesn't spread you too thin and you don't dilute the culture? Um, it, it, again, it comes down to, to, to people. It's, it's, it's having, it's, it's, it's building up enough people and trusting enough people that you can be in, in, in more than one place. Mm. You know, it took us, you know, it took us, you know, almost two years to go from, from one to two. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took us less than three years to go from two to three, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, so I, I, part of it is just, you know, intrinsic part of it is, you know, timing in terms of real estate in terms of, in terms of this place w- would be great. You know, we need to seize this opportunity. I mean, you know, our third came along quicker than we had sort of planned, but it was such a great location and such a great space that like, you know, we would, we would have been fools to, to, to pass it up. Um, but, and even, you know, the, 
when we went from one to two, the, the, the second restaurant is only a mile away from, from the first. Um, so conventional wisdom would think or, or, would, or, would, or would say that, that the second would be cannibalizing mm-hmm. from the first. And what we ended up doing before we signed that lease to kind of you know, re- reaffirm this is we actually analyzed all of our delivery data. We found that the highest concentration of, of delivery of Suva was happening within one square mile of that Hayes Valley restaurant. So we felt a lot better about sticking the second one exactly a mile away from from uh, the first. Okay, where'd you get that delivery data from? I'm curious. Was it just from? Uh, so we are we are uh, exclusive with Caviar, the okay. uh, delivery platform. Cool. Maybe we can talk about that during the uh, technology question, but. <laughs> Man, I wish I wish we had more time. Uh, there's so much more I want to ask, but I want to respect your time. And uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and they'll be right back for the speed round. Ever since episode number one, Restaurant Unstoppable has been tracking the most recommended technologies from our past guest mentors, and Toast is at the top of that list. With Toast, you get online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting, ELO, kitchen-grade monitors, and handheld tablets to empower your staff. That's right. No more traffic jams at the POS system. Toast customers have experienced a 20% increase in revenue via improved throughout, 3x increase in tips from digital signatures, and a 50% increase in online ordering after switching to the Toast platform. Recently, Toast received 101 million dollars worth of investment and they're celebrating by giving away two million dollars worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with toast before the end of september or until supplies last to get your free hardware head over to pos.toasttab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes you need to use my links Whether you're hiring a line cook, server, host, or manager, hiring is a time-consuming endeavor. However, there is a little-known way to lower your cost per hire. It's called WOTSI, or Work Opportunity Tax Credit. By hiring qualified workers from certain target groups such as veterans, SNAP recipients, and individuals living in empowerment zones, you can potentially receive thousands of dollars in tax returns. Hire Me is all about maximizing employer effort and Watsi is one great way to do just that. If you want to be guided through the Watsi process every step of the way, visit restaurantsunstoppable.hireme.com. That's Hire Me, H-I-G-H-E-R-M-E. And if you contact hiring me about Watsi services for a limited time offer, you will receive three months of free hiring software. Get on it. We are back. And the first question I have for you, Charles, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I have a uh, personal uniform that is different from the uniform of my employees in the restaurant, but I effectively wear the same thing every day. Why is that important? Uh, for, for me, it's, it's one less decision that needs to get made um, every morning. Um, I spent years as a dining room manager having to wear various suits, ties, and, and always sort of changing outfits. Um, so for, for me, it's my constant, and now it's just kind of become a, a sort of signature look. Uh, but it's also just for me, it's, it's, it's what I've become now sort of most comfortable in. Okay. Um, what is your uniform? I'm curious. Dare I say unstoppable. <laughs> what is your uniform? What, what does it look like? Um, so I wear, so it's, it's, it's evolved slightly over the years, but it's, it's effectively, it's um, uh, gray khakis, a white Oxford shirt, 
um, this kind of uh, blue sort of denim overshirt, um, and then a, um, a pair of, of, of sort of um, of dr- like a like a dress kind of work boot, if you will. Hmm. So aside and from I say, and I and I and, and I say evolved over the years because now um, uh, a, a lot of well certainly the the the, the boots and the shirt are now um, uh, bespoke. So like um, they're 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 made just for me. So you mentioned um, it, it saves time and it kind of gets you into that work mode. What are the other benefits that come out of wearing the same thing over and over again? Uh, it saves money actually. So even though like you might think that having boots made for you is probably <laughs> how many fewer pairs of shoes you have to yeah, buy true. Um, over, over the course of the year. Um, it, it ends up kind of working out um, pretty well. Um, but it's also, I mean, I do wear other clothes um, when I'm not at work. It's not like this is the only thing that I wear, but it's also just like a, a, a very good signal to employees, to guests, um, to anybody else, you know, that it's like that I'm here and I'm from Sufla and, and I'm on, on the job. Beautiful. What is your biggest weakness? Um, I probably have, have a tendency to, to sort of ramble a little bit, um, as I think we can probably gauge by our hour plus long conversation. You know what? Uh, this is the only time rambling is totally cool, uh, because we need all that knowledge that's up there and man, you left gold for us. So I am, I, I am happy and uh, I appreciate, no, I think it's, a, I think it's I appreciate a, your it's weakness. A combination of <laughs> rambling and, and oftentimes I'll just, I'll, I'll end up, um, and I've gotten better at it over the years, but I, um, will kind of hijack meetings. You know, if it's a, if, if one of my employees is, is running something, you know, I'll, uh, I'm sitting in the meeting and the next thing you know, it's like, it turns into me running the meeting. So I've, I've gotten better. I've, it's, I've been made aware of that over the years and I've, I'm, I'm so how, how did you consciously get better? What's one trick or thing you did to be aware of it and then improve upon that for somebody else who has the same challenge? Well, I think it's, I think it's part of, of, um, you know, having it brought to your, to your attention in a, in, in a way that's not off putting. So mm-hmm. we do, um, with, with all of our, uh, all of our leadership team, we do uh, monthly, uh, one-on-ones, uh, with myself and, 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 and that employee. Um, and, and 90% of it is spent on, on them and, and, and what they're working on and what they're struggling with and how they're feeling and all those other things. But it, it, it always ends up with, you know, with flipping it around and being, you know, how am I doing mm-hmm. me personally, me, me, Charles, like, you know, what, what do you need from me? What are you struggling with, with, you know, from, from, from my end? And, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 you know, thankfully we've got a, a very bright, very, you know, mature group of people and like, they're able to, I was like, you know what? It's like, you know, if I'm running a meeting or whatever, it's like, you have a tendency to just jump in and like take control. And it's like, it makes it hard for me to, you know, do my job. And it's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that at, at, at the time, you know, and it's like, this is good. This is good feedback for me. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's done in a way that's not, you know, it's, it's, it's done at, 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 at the right place in the right way. And, you know, I'm always open for, for self uh, um, improvement and, and just this sort of degree of yeah. um, transparency. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a little mantra I use, cause I would say I kind of struggle with this too. And I like to use a little mantra first, seek to understand, then seek to be understood. And it's a, a little Stephen R Covey seven habits of highly mm-hmm. effective people uh, trick that I got from that book. But if you approach each situation first, looking to understand and gather data and information, then what you, what you say ends up having more weight and it's usually more direct to the point too. So uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, so much of it is, is leading by, by example. Um, and that comes down to, you know, the way that you talk to, you know, whether it's that employee, you talk to other employees, you talk to guests, um, I also think that there's something um, very, very beneficial to the, the whole notion, especially within the restaurant business, um, that there is no task too too small or no task that's that's beneath you, mm-hmm. you know. So all the way down to you know whether it's picking up a piece of trash or you know 
plunging a toilet or, you know, having to wash dishes or any of that stuff to, to show the rest of your team that like, that you're not, that you're fully capable of and not afraid to jump in and do any, any job that's, that's needed. Beautiful. What's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? I always ask people what they, what they want to do and, you know, and, and not necessarily at Subla, but like dream job, like what are they, you know, what are they super interested in? What would they love to do? You know, and that, and that kind of helps me inform, uh, you know, if, if that person is, is truly passionate about, about hospitality, it doesn't have to be about Subla. Um, but are they, are they passionate about restaurants? Are they passionate about food? Are they passionate about, you know, whatever? Um, I think that that, you know, I find to be very, very helpful. Okay. And what is your current challenge today? The biggest challenge you're dealing with today? Space. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, it's, it's, um, and that's just like, it's, just, it happens to just be fresh in, 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 in our mind. We obviously are, you know, we Suvla and, um, restaurants certainly in, in markets like San Francisco are, are battling so many different, um, sort of challenges right now, be it, be it staffing, be it immigration, be it, you know, the rising rents, you know, being in the fact that most of our employees um, can't afford to live here, you know, um, myself included, you know, um, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's not, it's just, it's scary, you know, it's um, so, so trying trying to find that, that, that sort of balance, you know, being, it's being able to, you know, run a, 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 a profitable business and, and, but also take care of our, of our people and, you know, continue to, to deliver um, an exceptional product and at, at a, 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 great, great value. Um, but space, I just, I, I joke, um, a little bit, but you know, all of our restaurants are all pretty small. Um, and they all do, um, pretty considerable volume. And so the amount of physical space that we need to keep product and to go boxes and and stuff on hand, um, it just, when we think that we're, you know, on top of it, um, you know, from a volume standpoint, you know, the numbers keep going up. So it's a, it's a true champagne problem to have. Um, but we're always, we're always kind of cognizant of that. Okay. And uh, what is one book that's a must read that will make us either better people or restaurant owners? Uh, without a doubt, um, Danny Meyer's setting the table. Okay. Sure. And what's one lesson from that book you want to share with us? Danny's um, and, and and I will, I mean, I, I've been very, very fortunate to, um, to spend now a, a, a fair amount of time with Danny every time I'm, I'm, I'm in New York and he's been to Suvla and um, we have a great relationship and I'm, I'm very proud and very fortunate um, to be able to say that the, the big thing. And, and, and again, like another moment that I just remember, I was, I was in Greece, I was traveling with, with his, with his book um, and I was on the island of Crete and I was reading it. And I, I, I got it and I got to the point or the first point where it was mentioned of, of Danny's notion of, of, you know, the, his, his phrase of whoever wrote the rule. And, um, and that really resonated with me in, in how Suvla came to be certainly with its, with its format, with this, with this fine casual sort of subset that we have kind of pioneered. It's, you know, whoever wrote the rule that, that you, that, that you can't have a, like a, a, a exceptional quality dining experience you know, akin to, 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 to fine dining, but still order at the counter, mm. you know? Um, and so, and I think we've done, we've done a, a really, really great job of being able to kind of balance. Those, That's a good those. point. I think a lot of people get trapped into this way of thinking. We, we come up through the industry, we learn a certain way to do thing and we kind of get stuck in these old ways 
of doing things. And the truth is, I mean, even like there's technology today that allows us to do things way better, way more efficient. Look at talk, for example, with Nick Kakanis, like talk, like he totally flipped the industry upside down by finding a way to do a sliding reservation. Now where he's selling experiences, not seats, like challenge your perception of reality. Like they're like, like Danny Meyer says, whoever said, what is it again? Whoever the way, whoever wrote the rule. Yeah, exactly. Right. So be creative. Um, what's one technology you're leveraging and gets you really excited over at Suvla? So we, we are kind of, uh, have for better, for worse, become sort of the, the sort of poster child for, for the intersection of restaurant and tech, largely because we built Suvla off of um, a, a, a sort of baseline infrastructure of a lot of pretty more modern technology. It's not um, as in your face as, as some of the more kind of novelty places, but, you know, our, our, our restaurants are firmly in the, in the 21st century when it, when it comes to the, to, to, to that. I mentioned caviar, um, you know, which is, which is, uh, which allows us to do delivery, um, by utilizing this, this, um, technology so that you can be on your phone, you can place an order first to have it delivered at your house. The order flows seamlessly into our restaurants, prints out like it would any, any other way. Um, you know, it goes onto the bag and then they, it, you know, the order's marked ready. The courier is there within minutes. They pick up the bag, they bring it to where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So we, we never, had plans to do delivery. That was never part of the business plan. That was never part of what we wanted to do or what we thought we were going to do. Cause at the time delivery was not a thing in, in San Francisco. Um, and it's now in three and a half years, it's 25% of the business. So, um, and that's all, that's all revenue. That's all business that happens outside of the restaurant. You know, that's not like that. that that's not taking up seats, you know? Um, so it's been, it's, 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 it's allowed us to be able to, you know, to do a lot of the things that, that, that we're now able to do. So you're excited about caviar uh, for the delivery. I also noticed you have a, a beautiful website. Um, Thank you. And uh, w- tell us about your website. And sure, we um, we work with uh, with this great group uh, called Bento Box. Um, they're based out of out of, out of New York, um, and they specialize in restaurant rep- uh, restaurant websites. That's all that they do. Um, so what's 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 great with that is first of all you have a lot of references as far as like oh, i really like elements of this website and elements of this website because they are they're now powering hundreds of restaurants websites they're done in a way though it doesn't necessarily appear to the front end user but they're they're, they're they've built a series of different templates um that allow you to kind of customize with images and videos and all that other stuff and so yeah. truly make it your own but it's but it's working on on kind of a, a, a you know one sort of main sort of set of you know whatever you want to call it, platform hardware or, you know, or what have you. So it makes it for my end as, as the sort of the admin to the website, um, it makes it so easy for me to swap out a photo, to change out a menu, to put up a notification that, Hey, the restaurant is closed today, or, Hey, we're having this, we're doing this event or whatever in a way that was very challenging. I know you were griping up earlier about WordPress because uh, our original website was on WordPress and trying to do that in, in WordPress was very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with, with bento boxes made it super, super easy. Yeah. And I did notice it was bento box and I've, I've being somebody who's researching restaurants all the time. I, I take a note and like whenever I see a bento box website, they do more than just have a beautifully aesthetic website. They, do they coach you through telling your story and sharing your story and de- yeah, delivering whole, your brand a, and your message? It's a whole, they've, they've, they've actually gotten the onboarding and, and design process down to a science where the, you kind of go through a series of, of, of steps and, and, and questionnaires and, you know, do you like this or do you like this, you know, type situation where within, within a couple of rounds, I mean, they're like, they have your, your, your website, you know, really dial up for yeah. you um, and, and really, really showcasing your, your brand in, 
the right way. Yeah, I'd love to get them on the show. They really know their stuff. Um, yeah, man, they're, I, they're, they're super awesome. And, and Crystal, who's their, who's their CEO, is, is incredibly bright. I got to try to keep this out under an hour and a half. So we're going to move on. But um, with all the knowledge you have today, Charles, if you could go back in time, maybe when you're about to open Suvla and give yourself one piece of business advice, something you would have done differently or some information you wish you had known then, what would it be? I mean, you know, I think that if, if anything is probably to be a little bit more, um, um, a little bit more bold, I think with, with um, decisions and taking risks. I mean, I'm, I'm, um, and, and, and we still are as a, as an organization, fairly conservative, um, not politically, but uh, in, 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 from a, from a, from a business standpoint um, and are, and are pretty guarded and don't like to take a lot, a lot of risks um, or, or jump out and kind of put our necks out. Um, so, I mean, you know, if anything, you know, I would probably um, sort of remind myself that, 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 you know, it's good to like to, to challenge and, and, and try new things and, and, you know, even all the way down to it, it sounds you know, a little crazy, but I used to be like very, very like conservative about the whole notion of like, well, this, this journalist is coming in or the, I'm bringing this person in, we should comp their meal. And it's like, well, no, that's, that's money that like, mm-hmm. you know, that's money that, that I should be capturing this revenue. And it's like, and, and, and it took me a little while to be like, no, it's like, let's bring this person in. Like, let's style them out. Like, let's take great care of them because this person either writes for this, this publication or this whatever, or this person knows these people and they're going to tell these people about, about Subla. And it's really, it's, it's really the notion of, and I've, I've gotten a lot better of it about, about playing the game, mm-hmm. uh, especially within the world of like media and PR, you know, and, and, and really building that, that brand. Awesome. And, um, is there anything we didn't get to discuss or a question I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to do today's conversation? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm better at answering the, the questions than asking the questions. <laughs> um, and I, and I, and I, you know, um, am, am very, very transparent and, and, and open and honest. So, um, I'm sure we could have talked about a bunch of other things, but oh, it's man. really more like you ask the question and I will answer it type situation. We can go, <laughs> we can go, you know, a zillion rounds on, on, on a bunch of stuff. You I, know, I, so. Oh man, I have to admit I had to exercise some discipline cause I wanted to keep going, but I'm trying to be better about not making these <laughs> two hour episodes. Uh, man, uh, we got to call somebody out. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one person you admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? Uh, you need to speak to um, to my beautiful and lovely wife, uh, Jen Pelka, who, in addition to running um, San Francisco's hottest restaurant PR firm, uh, representing truly like the best and coolest restaurants out there, um, she also recently opened a champagne bar, oh, nice. um, and uh, that's 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 right around the corner from from Sula, um, that is entirely funded by women awesome. and has just been kicking ass and taking names. Jen, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And we get Scott Crawford on the show too. Yeah. Uh, I can yeah. write that Certainly one from the, as the, as the, as the, from the, from the chef perspective. And also I think as, as someone who is, I know has been a mentor to many other people besides uh, myself, but also someone who has come from the true sort of elite fine dining world um, and is now doing his own thing in Charlotte, I believe. Um, in a, in a far more sort of casual space, but you can still see that level of sort of, um, refinement that's, that's there. Beautiful. 
Charles, thank you so much. Uh, before I let you go, I just got to uh, get a way to connect. What's the best way to connect if we want to uh, follow you on social media or maybe we want to come work for you? What's the best way to connect? Sure. Uh, I mean, our website has all of our stuff on it, suglasf.com. Um, we're, we're pretty heavy Instagram users, um, so you can certainly follow us at suglasf. Um, and if anyone has any, has any questions, um, we run the – and I still generally answer the hello at suglasf.com email. Beautiful. This is episode 378. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 378 for a summary of today's discussion, plus how to connect and links to everything that was mentioned on today's show. Man, thank you so much for making or allowing me to make an example of you. Uh, I love how you're just 100% committed to your path, to your mission of being a, su- a successful hospitality person. And uh, the idea that you have this concept, you have of paying it forward and sharing knowledge and empowering your people. It was just an honor to make an example of you. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable, Charles. Man, that was an awesome episode with Charles. Thank you so much for joining us. And looking through my notes, it was really hard to just narrow down what the big takeaway was in today's conversation. There was so much great advice and topics covered. But I think the big thing is you get what you put into it. You get out of life what you put into it. And to bring it back to what I was thinking about earlier with uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill's book in that book, he talks about every action, every decision in your life needs to be towards your goals, towards whatever ultimate definite purpose, you know, your own definite purpose. What is your definite purpose in life in this world? Are you making decisions that will get you towards that goal, that definite purpose? And it sounds like Charles is one of those people that shows up and gives 100% of himself to whatever goal or mission he has set. And when he was a young guy, he was focused to learn everything he could about the hospitality industry, front of house, back of house. I'm, I don't, I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm assuming, uh, but I'm, you know, Giuseppe had his back. Giuseppe was in his corner, his teacher. And it's probably, it's probably because Charles showed up looking to learn, looking to push the envelope, being in the office. Uh, and I think this comes a lot from being a little bit more mature when you go to college and making the most of that time and giving yourself fully having that definite purpose and clarity on what you want to do with your life. And if you show up every day with that definite purpose and you give it all, uh, people will go to bat for you. And he mentioned the, the power of your network. Guys, your network is your net worth. Get out there, meet people, learn from people, give yourself to others, and they will give themselves to you. But you have to give before you get We talked about the power of a niche, uh, focusing on doing one thing better than everybody else, making it simple. The simpler you make it, the easier it is for you to train too. And he also talks about developing that culture and scaling up and promoting from within. And it's all about your people. And I'm pretty sure that Suvla is another one of these companies that we call an entangled organization. I'm getting that from Tom Walter in his book. It's my company too. But Really, I think it gets good. Life gets good in this industry when you start to empower and enable other people to make decisions. You give them, the, you give them those values. You give them those life lessons so they can do the right thing. But hey, guys, we're not born. We don't come into this world knowing how to make all the right decisions. We need to mentor. We need to mentor that into other people. We need to train other people up. We need to give them these skills, and we need to 
to create more transformative relationships in this industry and in the world, to be frank. Uh, it's not just transactional. It's not people show up and they get a paycheck. No, you, you live to serve these other people and you need to transform the way that they look at life by giving them certain values and something to to work towards, something worthy to show up to every day. Awesome stuff. Like always, guys, please do connect with me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. If you are enjoying these episodes, tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what your challenges are. I'll get somebody on the show so we can learn together. You can connect with me on social media, Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter in slash restaurant unstoppable on Facebook. Keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher radio coming 101 reviews now on iTunes. Thank you guys so much. We left those reviews and Thank you for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.